0: How many years do you have? I have 26 years.
1: Whoa! Dude! Feliz cumpleanos.
0: Yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks. How did y'all find out it was my birthday? Oh, how did we not find out it was your birthday?
1: Dude, it's, all bets are off for your birthday, Metz. Come on, man.
2: Did you seriously not see the uh, thing on BuzzFeed, top nine things to sing to Mike Metz on his birthday? Mm-hmm. I, that one must have slipped by me. Mm. Dude, you were quoted in the article. They interviewed you. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal.
1: Hello? Hey, you are breaking up majorly on my end. I don't know how your audio is. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you okay. Okay.
0: I can, yeah. Everybody's clear.
1: Okay, For maybe me. it's my, mo- maybe it's the internet here because that was, it was like I like literally didn't hear anything you just said. But okay, continue. I'll, I'll say it again. Okay. So,
0: um, <laughs> dude, you almost took a huge Danstrom on that. <laughs> Am I right, Rob?
2: <laughs> oh, dude. <laughs> oh,
0: good try, Mets. Good try. Yeah. Oh, that was that was a, yeah, that was a good try.
2: That was a brick, though. Um. <laughs>
0: another that's another proper word for it
2: (laughs) so writing this uh writing out these talks that i gave in phoenix into sort of like a summary i'm um i was exploring the idea of the nature of god and his relationship to us as his creatures and what infinity actually means and how we add nothing to infinity it's impossible to add to infinity and so we're like this tiny grain of sand. Like, the entire universe is this tiny grain of sand on the tip of a finger of an enormous giant. Mm. But even then, it's still not big enough of a difference of, like, how little we are in comparison to God. Um, It would be like trying to attack on a minute to eternity. Like, the reason eternity can't have an extra minute is because you you can't just wait for it to end and then put that stupid minute on the end. It's just a different kind of quantity. And so... uh like the difficulty in faith i think a lot of times is not it doesn't surprise most people that there's no quote unquote scientific evidence for god because the analogy i was using was like um yeah an ant like can't see or measure a mountain um because like his stupid little yardsticks are not in the same like quantitative arena as a mountain you know he and he can't fit this thing into his head you know like the quantity mountain because it's so much bigger than him Hmm. uh which is why god part of the reason why god is invisible is because like for him to be visible for anything to be visible there has to be a place where the thing is not you know there has to be a border around a thing in order for it to be visible right uh, or quantifiable and nor is it difficult to imagine or postulate that god is a communion of three divine persons and one god like even though that doesn't make sense to our head it shouldn't make perfect sense because why why should we think that we should understand all the inner workings of the interior life of god Mm -hmm. just like an ant can't imagine what a mountain range is much less you know not a mountain much less a mountain range you know uh so anyways i think what the sticking point is is that is the indifference point. Like why would a being so glorious and so majestic and so huge in comparison to us, tiny little ants give uh, a Mets about us? (laughs) You know what I mean? Uh, Isn't it much more likely that God is the deist God that is just up there in heaven, uh, set the watch and is kind of like letting us just sort of play out our miserable little tiny existence. Okay, yeah, that makes more sense, but it's not impossible that God is in- interested in us. What's really incredible, not incredible, wrong choice of words, but uh, difficult to believe about Christianity is that God is intimately interested in us. Because he's not just a huge giant, but he's so limitless that he can take on limitation. That it's not, uh, that it's in a way imposing a false limit on God to say, you're too infinite to become finite because what we say in Christianity is that it's even bigger than we thought because his bigness can become small for our sake. That's how big his love is, how big his care and everything like that. But then this was kind of, um, rolling around in my brain and my heart. And I was just thinking, uh, you know, how amazing as a Christian, but particularly as a priest, uh, to have the Holy Spirit in us, because God, God is this huge giant. He's so separate from us. He's so transcendent, yet he's so intimately involved in every single nook and cranny, no matter how small, of all of His creation. He's He's totally, uh, like, um, I'm searching for a word. He's still, He's involved Himself in in every single thing that's happening. You know, so no matter if it's suffering, He's there. If it's joy, he's there. If it's something amazing, he's there. If it's something kind of uh, small and insignificant, he's there. And uh, we are participating in the life of God. You know, Whatever you do for the least of my brethren, you do for me. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. But what's even more amazing, and this is where I would like to hear you guys' thoughts, to me is that not that I get to live God's life, but that he wants to live my life. Yeah. And it's a very subtle distinction but it was just like folding laundry in my room like on my bed just folding all this clean laundry I was like <laughs> Jesus wants to fold this laundry God himself wants to be here doing this because he's chosen to live my life I, not only do I get to live his life but he wants to live my life he wants to live all of our lives that's what it's no longer I who lives I who live but Christ who lives in me is that he's here man and he cares. Uh, about all this stuff that I'm doing. Like the temptation, I guess what it was kind of um, going against was this temptation to think like there's times where I'm doing the God stuff and then I just do like taking care of business, me stuff, you know. But I guess what discipleship is, and this was the whole point of this talk series and this uh, potential ebook, is like, what does discipleship actually look like? What does it mean? And it means every single thing uh, is done with, for, and through Christ. uh, That he has complete hegemony over my entire life. And I say yes to it. Um, Does that make any sense? What does the word hegemony mean? Like authority or uh, dominion. Good word. It's a great word. I stole it from somebody else.
1: (laughs) Dude, that's it. (laughs) Honestly, man. Like... That's it. That's what we talk about all the time. And like God wants to be is not wants to be, but is you know intimately close to us. And that's a good way of saying it, of kind of like entering into the reality or the mystery or whatever you want to call it. There is that you know not only does God want us to live His life, but He wants to live our life. And that's it's kind of what we were talking about last week with just like a transformation of the ordinary or what sainthood actually looks like. And I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast, but what I was thinking when you were talking is there was a Father Baron homily, I don't know, it was like three or four years ago probably, and he was talking about Blessed Pier Giorgio Frassati, and he said there's like that uh, you know, kind of iconic picture of Frassati when he's mountain climbing. And it's not the one of him in the pipe on top of the mountain, but it's him, like, scaling the mountain. And he, in his own hand, he wrote Verso Alto in the Italian on it, which means to the heights, because he's looking up. And so he's... And that's a, a general, I think, for people that meet Frasati, it's, like, this kind of upward surge of, like, reaching, you know, to the heights that he inspires you in that way. But Baron's insight to it was the Italian... Verso l'alto la comes from the Latin duke in altum, which means to the depths, you know, cast into the deep. And I've just found that like to be very, very profound in that, like in this like, heavenly reality or whatever you want to call it, um, you know, there, there's no distinction between up and down because God is completely other and he's closer to us than we are to ourselves. So the experience of that is just, yeah, man, it's, it's sometimes it's hard to believe because it is like that we could be loved by that, that God is so big that he could be that small. Um, I was even thinking like the, A Grief Observed by C.S. Lewis, he talks about, you know, in observing, like, his own spiritual life after his wife has died, one of the things that haunts Lewis is that even if he had the capacity to search to the very ends of the universe for his wife that he longed for so much... Even if he could go to the outermost limits, like and also search every nook and cranny of the entire universe, if he had the capacity to do that, then he still would not find his wife. And there's just, I think, when we're faced, especially with death, there's such a finality in it um, that it does, you know. I think it it kind of shocks us or scares us or whatever you want to call it, but. Then Lewis's observation in his grief is that but his wife on God's terms is still, like the relationship is still real. Um, So it's not a memory of her that he continues to experience. It's actually her that he continues to experience. And that's a hard thing to um, articulate. I don't know if I was getting exactly you know, at what you're saying, but, but yeah, that whole, like, God outside of us, God inside of us, like, the up or down, um, like, the infinite to the, the smallest, you know, alpha and omega, et cetera, it's like, God is, he's there. Well, you know, the,
2: uh, the part in the mass where the priest pours the little bit of tap water into the wine that will become the blood of Christ, there's that, secret prayer that the priest says in a low voice uh by the mystery of this water and wine may we come to share in the divinity of christ who humbled himself to share in our humanity yeah and that that by the mystery or the mixing of the of the two substances one profane and just brute material creation Mm -hmm. and then the other which will be divinized and made into the sacramental Mm -hmm. presence of god is The marvelous exchange, you know, Christ became poor so that we could become rich He brought his light into a darkness. He brought his eternal life into death and he came down so deep All the way to the bottom to bring up what is on the bottom up to the heights and yeah. there's a great story I don't know if I have told you guys this but when I was down in Kansas for a class reunion with one of our my classmates his parish has a <clears throat> one of those atrium things for uh, Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, which is sort oh, yeah. of the Montessori method of yeah. teaching the faith. And um, are you guys familiar with that program or what Montessori is? Uh, loosely.
0: So it's kind of like loosely.
2: self-directed. Kids learn at their own pace. They, they have lessons, but then there's a lot of unstructured, free exploration yep. time. And there's things that engage the senses within the atrium, which is, they don't even call it a classroom. But one of the stories that the woman told, she was kind of giving us some demos and showing us like the stuff that the kids engage with, and it's all like little miniature mass kits for five-year-olds. It's super cool um, yeah, stuff, it's and very it's cool. and it's all sort of based on uh, mysticism—that the 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 belief that children are close to God and have a spiritual sense, and so they have a lot of silence, and um, the kids take it very seriously. And they they walk very slowly into the atrium.
0: and Dude, I would I, pay so much money to watch that for like 30 minutes. I
2: know. At, at all, she says all the parents who they have volunteer, they train, are just like shocked at how the kids behave because it, there's just an environment of prayer that they kind of understand intuitively. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. she had the story about one boy, a little boy who was uh, playing with the mask kit like every day during free time, especially the wine and the water. And he would pour the wine. They taught them, you know, about this thing in the mass and the prayer. And he just kept pouring wine and then a little bit of water and then, like, dumping it out and pouring a little more wine and more water. And just, like, over and over and over again, he kept doing this. Um, and they were kind of, like, worried as this kid just sort of fixated and he's not exploring the whole area. And he's getting distracted by this thing that's, for some reason, fascinating him. But then they were talking about parousia and I don't, I'm not kidding you. These are kids like, I don't know, first communion age. They're talking about what parousia means. Um, (laughs) And you know, the, when God will be all in all, a new heavens and a new earth, the end times when the second coming, that this is the destiny of humanity, uh, of the way, you know, like where God is all in all. What, What do you think that means? And nobody talked for a little bit. And then the little boy raised his hand and he said, It'll be like that little bit of water and all that wine. Whoa. Yeah. And that stuck in my mind when she told us that story of like what what we really mean by heaven being joined to earth in Christ, that there's no separation now. There is still resistance. The kingdom of God is be t- being taken by force, but this is what's happening. The light is, com- the sun is coming up and the darkness has no power to overshadow pure light and this is like everything every symbol every word of the scriptures uh has rumors of this this light that's coming this thing that's going to happen that's even happening now of uh god just saturating our existence with his goodness and our job is not to make heaven come to earth it's already here it's to open doors and let the air in you know um and so like i go back to that folding laundry in my room like this this is as solitary and mundane as you could imagine it's like i want to go to bed right now but i don't want this these clothes to be all wrinkly in the morning so i'm just going to do this and like who could think of a more meaningless task that just needs to get done and i think to myself jesus is doing this he's decided to fold laundry right now because that's what i have to do that's the will of god in this moment is for me to do this. And he he's not leaving, you know, and just waiting for me to get up in the morning so I can pray and do the Mass and hear confessions or do whatever else that's, like, super meaningful and, and divine. Uh, what it, living in a relationship with Jesus is is not having any separation, having no time for yourself. In other words, no time to just be an orphan and alone. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like, it's a very subtle thing, but it, it seems profound to me. And another thing.
1: Dude, well, in answer to, I mean, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, man, ab- absolutely. That's, that's what discipleship is. And I guess not, yeah, n- not to harp on the point, but it is very similar, um, at least in my mind, to what we were talking about last week is that um, you know I think going through like a true sanctification process like a real or, or whatever like understanding what the saints lives actually look like and the reality is like their lives look like everybody else's they've just let God go that low in them mm-hmm. um Yeah. I don't think I'm saying anything new. That's just, it's just such a beautiful idea. It is.
0: Yeah. And one thing that really sticks with me, um, I, I, it has to come back from, uh, back to Barron and his class, which thank God for that guy. Holy smokes. Well, Bishop Barron that, that class totally rocked my world. Um, but just understanding, at least for me, this is something that's even been impactful in prayer is that like yeah i definitely do think of god which is understandable because we like to anthropomorphize everything so like god is just a big me and so then i'm on the tip of his finger you like he's just a big giant human being that's mm-hmm. what with this huge beard and uh you know that's god he's just like really really big but then to understand The big thing that Baron drove home from his class, you know, the the great I am from um, from Exodus with Moses, the burning bush, that that is God describing who he is, which is later fulfilled and understood even more fully as God is love. But he is he is he is the ground of all existence. He is the ground of all being, which means like that's kind of that's a cool idea to think about. It is. But then I, like, you think about that in your, as you as an individual, and so you talk about like you can't look at God, um, and study Him because how can you study something without limits? There has to be a finitude, a limitation, so that you can see what, what isn't it, you know? It's like studying a balloon, from inside the balloon or something like that, you know? Like we're all a part of, we're all we all share in being which means that we share in the essence of God. So it's not like God even made us exterior to himself in a way. Like we are a part of of him as creatures. But we also know that he's not just being. So like because I do exist, I am sharing in love, in in God's very nature of who he is. And um, I mean, I that's at least just something I like to sit with. And I don't even know... <laughs> well, know, there's like, the, the, the how do analogy, you talk
2: about yeah the analogy of a song you know like the whole idea of creation not being see the deist creation is i i made a watch that's my creature i don't know where it is i don't really care who's wearing it or if it's still working i just made it, it's something i made but uh okay yeah that's one version of a creature but we say that creation is more like a song where The person creating it has to keep singing, has to keep willing its existence in order for it to continue in being. And that's what we say creation is, this big history, this big drama that's being played out, authored by God, but mysteriously with free uh, players. And not only that, but God himself became one of the players, the main character, and is now leading us in like... He's both the singer, the conductor, and, you know, part of the song. It's just like, yeah, it doesn't fit in our mind, but why should it? That's my point. You know what's interesting
1: that I just thought about? And this is like when you were talking about, yeah, that song, which was beautiful. But one of the most intriguing lines that I've ever read is in Bride's Head. And it's when... uh. What's the guy's name? Ryder and Sebastian are talking. I think they're in college. And Sebastian's this like party boy, pretty much drunk at this point. And, but he's still the Catholic one. And Ryder asks him, he's like, why do you believe all this stuff? And Sebastian's answer was because, because it's wonderful to believe. And I, I don't know. Like that's just a, does that make sense? Even of how I like that came into my mind mm-hmm. there of like why why wouldn't you believe this? Like the well,
2: because it's hard. That's the point. It's hard to believe. Yeah, yeah. But it's but it is Talk wonderful more about to that. believe.
1: It is wonderful to believe.
2: And so like yeah, in a way like I don't blame I don't blame or see as enemies or opponents people that uh, throw up their hands and say it's it's too hard to believe that because it's easier for me to believe that God doesn't care about me. Hmm. Um, it, to me, it seems to, it defies all reason to say that there is no God or that there is no transcendent uh, meaning or origin or intellectual origin to the universe. Why, why is there order? Why does our mind apprehend that order? I mean, it's so obvious. It's pretty much like an urban phenomenon, at least in my experience. Mm-hmm. Atheism even agnosticism is an urban phenomenon because we live in a world we think we made where everything is industrial and every, like our food doesn't come from the ground or the sky. It comes from a store or a factory and we think that we are God. And so it's not that much of a stretch for us to say we're the most, um, advanced. We're the highest possible intellect that could ever exist. But I mean, until industrialization, that was not easy to imagine uh, yeah. when you look out at nature. I think Avery Dulles converted to Christianity looking at a tree. I can't yeah. remember the whole story. Do you remember that story? Yeah. It was some day like- he was out walking and he just looked at a tree and like everything fell into place in his mind yeah. uh, about the the origin and purpose of existence. And yeah, it's not that much of a stretch to say God exists. I mean, it's not. It's it's intuitive. You have to have a kind of deaf conscience or Um, maybe invincible ignorance to say that there's no maker to creation, but that that maker would care about us or that he would intervene when we had run from him and rejected him. That is not obvious and in a way like can only be understood and only make sense from within the circle of belief, Mm -hmm. you know? So the writer character in that is looking at Sebastian and his beliefs make no sense to him because they don't fit within his whole framework of the indifference of nature and because that's one thing when you look at nature yeah there's a creator but it's not obvious that he cares because you're just this tiny little ant and there's all these forces at work which you can't control and you are this naked hungry quivering beast uh, and nothing around you cares about you but you know it's not a reflex to look up into the heavens and say oh god you must love me but uh, what we believe is this story that, of things that actually happened, a person that actually lived and talked and died and rose, that says differently that the Maker does care and that he loves you and he runs after you when you run from him. And until you've encountered that person, I guess that's this is why, I like, evangelization to me, the central central thing we have to emphasize is the personal nature of god if we try to evangelize by saying people need to get more involved people need you know look at society we need to be more moral and we need to take care of the environment like whatever issue you have is not the issue the issue is does god love you and is he a person capable of communicating that because if he isn't then we're all just like billiard balls just knocking against each other uh trying to figure out the best way to like make this all work in a peaceful and nonviolent way. And it's not going to work. But if God addresses each one of us and calls us into a relationship, he organizes us. He makes peace and it's his kingdom. And uh, that's one person at a time. And man, I've been doing this for a while now, and it's still a conversion point every single day. You know, am I on my own? Do I justify myself or has God done the work and I'm saying yes to it?
0: Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which means that your life is much more about like doing these things that you think God needs you to do and much more witnessing to the reality of what God has already done and is already doing, which I think there's a, there's a minor distinction there because in a way, all of your actions are not, the purpose is not them in and of themselves, but the purpose is to communicate a truth of another, of a savior, of the person of Christ throughout all of your actions which means oftentimes you don't really know what that looks like and it could be entirely impractical, but that's what witnessing to Christianity sometimes looks like, you know? Um, I, I heard a definition, I was preparing a talk yesterday and was listening to just some theology of the body talks. I don't know if y'all have ever heard of the, I guess he's a theologian, Monsignor Albacete. Have y'all ever heard I've of heard him? that name. I've heard the name, so, don't know. yeah. Yeah, he's just a big proponent. My CL dude here is just plugging me with tons of CL stuff. So mm-hmm. he's he was um, a theology of the body professor for a while at one of the JP2 institutes, and just a hilarious guy. He has some incredibly offensive lines, <laughs> but he's super duper funny. Um, that's not the point. His definition of faith was it's something that. Um, what did he say? Faith is uh, a gift that helps you to, in a sense, understand existence, to understand creation, to make sense of the world. And like even that example with Avery Dulles, um, you know, the gift of faith that's given there helps to place things into a way that it, yeah, you see things as being wonderful, as being how they were created, as being how they were intended to be. And at least in my experience with like working with a lot of the youth group here, um, the problem of atheism is pretty rampant here. I don't know about you guys, um, like what your experiences have been with youth group, but our most engaging nights are, have actually been when we're talking about atheism. And, and I think part of it is to what you're talking about, that we have to emphasize the personal dimension of God. Like, I I mean, I got up there we had a guy who got up and gave this big lecture this big instruction about you know the cosmological arguments thomas's five ways some attempts at philosophy and things like that and you know tried to explain it pretty decently and then we broke into small groups and nothing nothing that he he talked about nothing was not even close not even close and so then our in our small groups we basically, like I just set it up so that they would debate each other so that they would actually have to think about it themselves and kind of argue for one side or the other. Um, But it made me think of a a parishioner came up this weekend um, and was talking to myself and the newly ordained priest here. And she was saying how she just discovered this Fatima video. And she's learning so much about Fatima. And I can't believe how amazing it is. And did you know this happened and like 70,000 people saw and they wrote about it and the sun is dancing in the sky and people are looking and doctors have claimed like this miracle and like, yeah, you know, the the church has like literally thousands of years of things like this. Right. Mm -hmm. And yet we still have people who don't believe in the existence of God. So like she was struggling with how can those two things exist simultaneously Mm. And what it came down to was until us as individuals have an actual experience in our own lives of, yeah, that person of Christ, it's all just like another thought among many thoughts. It's all just an idea among many ideas. That's a scientific claim, whatever, a miraculous one, a supernatural one, at the end of the day, is what she's talking about, among tons. Go on YouTube and just type that in and see what comes up. Mm-hmm. There's like hundreds of those. But until the the reality of the, an infinite God breaking into your own life occurs, like, it, yeah, it's just one idea among many. And so I think like connecting hopefully some of my ramblings, but that's what the kids need. And so I can get up there and talk and talk at these kids and tell them the right thing to do. But th- that's ultimately not what we want. Right. I want them to encounter Christ, so then then they they themselves are witnessing their entire lives to this God, you know, and that makes it not just an intellectual.
2: You're not just trying to win an argument with a, your competing worldview.
0: Yeah, or even like this attempt at moralism. Mm-hmm. I I I do think yeah, the Christian life, even philosophically or um, ethically, is probably going to make you happier, and it's going to be. Um, the best just humanly speaking the best life possible I firmly believe that but I still think that's not enough like just the Christian philosophy just a Christian idea or the moralism as like the last idol of I think a lot of Christians today that's not enough we can't at least it's not enough for me I'll fail one and two I'll be unfulfilled is I need more than just this idea I need an experience of a person, um, which I, I've been blessed to have, you know, and then Rob, to your point of like, Lewis has these memories of his wife and it's not just a memory, it is her, you know? And so then when we go to pray and we have these strong experiences with God that we look back at and we remember his face, we remember that person, like that's the living relationship. That's not just one event and then he's away. No, that's God like speaking love into us constantly, speaking us into being and us remembering that and living in that reality and witnessing it. But I'm just so convinced that like yelling doctrine and idea at people is so not the way to go that we need to love people there. And you can show them all the miracles in the world on YouTube or in a video, but until they have that like... Yeah, the miracle of an infinite God smashing into our finite lives, like pfft, that's something that turns people's heads upside down. Um,
2: yeah, and there's a moral but, element to it, but I think what you're getting at is we put the cart before the horse. We think that the morals will, will change people's belief, but it's really the other way around. Your belief changes your morals. And my evidence of that is my own experience. The first kind of like quote-unquote uh, experience of God It was super minor. It was like I was maybe 10 years old and I was watching TV late at night. And there was some thing on. I used to watch 2020 all the time. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it's something like that. Some kind of news thing with human interest stories. And it was on near-death experiences. And I don't remember much about the show at all, except that there was some person who came back from this near-death experience having seen some person they didn't recognize and, and heard their name and met them in this out-of-body experience and went back and talked to their family. And they're like, oh, yeah, that person died before you were born. We never told you about them. And I was just like floored, kind of like this lady with the Fatima. And you never know what's going to do it. And it's not like this completely changed my life, but it got me, it like struck a chord in me so deep that it was the first time I ever knelt down and prayed before I went to bed. I was just like, whoa, God is real? you know, like I'd been taught all this stuff in CCD about Jesus is this nice guy. And so you have to listen to your parents. And it was like, okay, great. Um, But this was like, what? So this actually is real. Uh, There's a heaven and there's a hell and you can go there. And I knelt down and I prayed. And I remember the next day I, I was like a different person. And it was very, very, very temporary. I did the dishes without being asked. And I think I took out the garbage or something like that. But Two days later, I completely forgot about it, went back to being selfish, but um, it had a moral element, you know, like this little bit of intuition that there is a God who is real and uh, is interested in the things I do affected the things I did. And um, there's certainly a moral element on the other side of non-belief. And the evidence I have of that is this Catholic match thing. I ever tell you about this? My friend was on Catholic match. And they have, I guess, like seven categories of belief. Like, do you believe Mm -hmm. in the real presence of the Eucharist? Do you believe in the infallibility of the Pope? Do you believe in blah, blah, blah? Like seven kind of markers of how hardcore you are so that you can match up with somebody who's on the same level as you so you don't have disagreements about stuff. And uh, like three of them are doctrinal and four of them are like moral or something or three or four the other direction. But he said "There's there's never anybody who uh, clicks like, um, yeah, I, I don't believe that you should have sex before you're married and I don't believe you should use contraception uh, during marriage, but I can't really believe in the real presence, You know that's too hard for me to believe. It's never that way, it's always the other way around. The first beliefs to get checked off as no thank you are the moral ones, why? Because you don't wanna believe them because if you do, then you have to change your behavior. And this is Newman's whole thing of why uh, you can't argue somebody into belief in God is because our decisions affect our intellect. Like our will, uh, one of the consequences of sin is that there's this bifurcation. We want something that we know we, sh- we can't have if there is a God. So we just say, no, thanks, God. I'm- I prefer to do what I want. That's original sin. And uh, so like the way to reorient ourselves and help other people reorient themselves is to put God back in his place back on his throne and the way you do that is have an experience of the person Uh, and I go back to this thing I talked about with the guy in the tattoo parlor where he's like how can there be one right religion when there's all these different religions aren't they just kind of all mistaken and they kind of are gesturing toward the same God Jesus and Muhammad or blah 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 and I just asked him like well do you believe that God is a person do you believe he can address you and tell you about himself because then it's not a question of did we discover the right theory it's do you believe the person who's telling you do you believe jesus and i asked him have you ever had a an experience of god and he told me a story on this bus where a lady said said something random that really spoke into his life that she would have had no reason to know anything about him and he was like yeah wow and i asked him if i could pray for him i blessed him i spoke into his life in Jesus' name and Gave me a big hug and I'm like, yeah, okay, there. God spoke something to me and taught me something and he taught you something. And I didn't say this to him, but that's how this all works. Uh, It's not us just like floundering around trying to figure out a theory
0: to life. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's being taught. Which is so cool even there. Like just God, yeah, he wants to share in our lives also, but... Like you got to stand in the person of God there. And I know you do that literally every day celebrating Mass, but you were God's spokesperson. Like your body was standing for God, for that person. You were kinda you were Christ for him, which I know is such a cliche term, but I don't that's why I love like being a disciple and the need for community and legitimate friendship. And that's why again, just yeah like telling people the right thing and then abandoning them. Like, no, part of the right thing is to be with that person because your body being there means something super significant. You're communicating such a deep truth by you physically like hugging that guy as a representative of Jesus. And that's just such a cool aspect of being a disciple. That, yeah, you don't just yell at people from the podium or talk to them from the podium, whatever. Like, you come down and you walk with them, and you go down and give them hugs, and you speak words into their life, you know? there's, I guess it's just the incarnational component to the faith is so radical, man. It's so incredible. Um, and I'm sure that that probably stuck with that guy more than, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it was very impactful, but... Sure. I haven't seen him in
1: church yet, but... There's always hope. Well, it is interesting, too, amongst everything, you know, we've just said, at least in my take, that little kid at Catechesis of the Good Shepherd gave a better answer to all of this than in a sentence than we just did in an hour. Yeah. Um, Which I guess that's what's amazing, you know, about what faith is. I don't know. That's a really good point, Connor, of like realizing yeah, even that points from Bryce head it, but it is wonderful and that can be a capacity for belief. But in some ways that's what makes it difficult is how wonderful it is. Like that's just a very interesting twist to um to the reality. And I guess yeah, there's no you know, there's no book that's going to answer that question. It's just an entering deeper and deeper and deeper into love which is god
2: Yeppers, well, i'm wearing the right shirt today i got my karma has no friends shirt on
1: dude
0: awesome awesome this is your day off huh
1: mm-hmm. are you ready? Okay. Hmm. three dogs north are juice Seabisk, and michael metz